Well, good morning to you. We are glad that you're here this morning. If you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope that you do, I'd invite you to turn with me to a minor prophet in the Old Testament uh, named Habakkuk. If you are new with us this morning, if you're here watching a sweet grandbaby or niece or nephew or a dear friend, or uh, if you're, it's your first time engaged with us, uh, this is not a Mother's Day message. Uh, quite the opposite, we're going to talk about the good old Babylonians. Uh, but every day, every Sunday is a Mother's Day message when we talk about Christ, right? Because His mother is our only hope is Christ. His father is our only hope is Christ and is the good news of the gospel. And so uh, this morning we do continue in our series in Habakkuk, uh, talking about God's uh, sovereignty, especially in, in the midst of suffering. And so uh, last week we kind of ended, uh, if you will, the uh, chapter 1, and we'll have a little bleed over with verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 2 this morning, but just kind of a, a brief recap as to where we are, especially since we have so many who've not been with us in our journey through Habakkuk. Uh, it is set in uh, roughly around 600 B.C. or so. We're not entirely uh, certain. Habakkuk is a prophet of the Lord. This is a unique book. It is a book that specifically speaks to uh, the answer of evil in the midst of God's sovereignty. How can God be all-powerful and all-loving? They seem to be at odds, but indeed they are not. They are very much in not at odds, and they are very much in agreement that God is good, He is all-powerful. And as we see Him working through uh, the judgment towards Israel, we see Him using the wrath, uh, demonstrating His wrath through the Babylonians in many different ways. He is very active, and He is very at work in every aspect of human history and human life. And so uh, Habakkuk, uh, because of that, he has a complaint. He says, Lord, uh, how come it, how come Israel is being inundated with evil? How come we look around and there's evil everywhere? How long shall I cry? It says in verse 2, for help and you will not hear or cry violence and you will not save. And so he brings this complaint, this question to the Lord. And the Lord uh, clearly and uh, directly answers him and says, look, I am right here. I am work amongst the nations. And I'm going to tell you, I'm actually doing something that you don't, would, would shock you. I am raising up the Babylonians for great destruction and, uh, and all kind of purposes that are ultimately his purposes. And then we see Habakkuk's second complaint. One's not enough for him. So he comes back to the Lord and says, okay, God, I get it. I get that you can use the Babylonians. I get that you can use them for uh, your purposes and to bring wrath. But how? How can you, a holy God, and that's important to see in Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 12, that, he, that, that Habakkuk is operating from a place of faith and trust. He's not operating from a place of doubt and dissension. He's operating from faith and trust. And he says, I know you, God. You are holy and you are majestic and you are, you are perfect and you are the rock and you are a covenant God and you, you are a covenant maker and a covenant keeper. And I recognize this, but how can you, such a holy God, how can you use such an evil nation? That's kind of where we leave it, left it last week. Uh, and I do want to clarify one of our points last week. Uh, I strive to be very intentional with words, but sometimes things are heard differently. Uh, one of our main points last week was that it is, where to go? It just left me. Um, it, is, it is okay to question God from a, a place of place, uh, from a place of trust and faith. And that is entirely true, 
but some heard it a little differently. And maybe a better way to put it, it is okay to bring your questions to the Lord out of a place of trust and faith. Because sometimes uh, we hear question and questioning God. And, and for some, you hear that as doubting God and bringing your doubts to the Lord and saying that you do not trust the Lord. And so that is not what is happening. Habakkuk, that is, Habakkuk, that is not what is good and healthy uh, for us. But it's okay for God's people. It's okay for, for Habakkuk, this prophet. It's okay for the remnant of Israel. It's okay for us today in the 21st century who are called according to God's purposes, who belong to the Lord to struggle. We all struggle and to struggle and to, to bring that to the Lord and say, Lord, I trust you. I love you. You are, you are my rock and my savior, but I'm struggling with this. And God is not afraid of your struggles and he will answer as we'll see this morning. And so all that to say brings us to chapter two. Uh, we're going to reread verse one and we'll go ahead and go through verse five. We're probably going to stop at verse four if that was not confusing at all for you. So here we go. Habakkuk chapter two, verse one. I will stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me, what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as as white as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this text that is before us today. Lord, we thank you that we can open Scripture at any page and ultimately see Christ and see our great Redeemer and see this story of redemption that is from the front to the back. So help us to see this morning and to hear this morning, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. So as we start with chapter two, it is the, chapter two, verse one is this transition verse. He, he brings this, the prophet brings his second complaint to, to God at the end of chapter one. And he's asking about how can, how can God, how can the goodness of God be reconciled with him being, how him using the evil of the Chaldeans. And so he answers and we love the beginning of verse, uh, of chapter two, verse one. That after he makes his second complaint, not the first, but the second, he brings his second question to the Lord. It's, it's uh, very striking to us, or at least is to me, how it occurs to us in English. He says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. I mean, that's very bold language, right? I mean, you've just asked the God of the universe, the creator of all things, your redeemer, the one that all of your hope is in. You've, you've brought this question to him. Like, okay, I'm going to sit right here and I'm going to wait till he answers me. 
And that's how, to some degree, we, uh, we, we hear that, but it's not really the heart of the prophet. And we know that because looking at the faith of Habakkuk, both what we've seen already and what we'll see as Habakkuk continues, that he is a prophet, that he is amongst the remnant. He is amongst those of Israel who looks to and trusts the Lord. His hope is in God. The prophet's posture seems bold and disrespectful, maybe even comical to us, but he is really placing himself in a position of waiting. So he's come to the Lord and said, Lord, here's this question I have. Here's this struggle that I have. Now I'm going to retreat to the weeds, if you will. I'm going to sit back and I'm going to wait for you to answer. So he's putting himself in a position of waiting. And while he is waiting, there's no reason to think that Habakkuk is not trusting that he continues to trust the Lord as he awaits his response. And uh, as one who used to be with us uh, here at North Hills, Brandon used to say, you've got to get your mind right. So Habakkuk was kind of getting his mind right. He was getting himself in a place that he could wait on and hear from the Lord. That he seems by faith to be bringing this question before God and by faith waiting on his reply. And that is a position and a posture that the people of God today could learn from. That we can bring our questions to the Lord. It doesn't mean God's going to answer us instantly. As you see there in verse 2, it says, And the Lord answered me. So obviously Habakkuk's writing this book, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And he he says, hey, here's the, the, the posture I took. Here's the position that I took to wait. And then he answered me. He doesn't say in 30 minutes he answered me. He doesn't say in 30 days he answered me. We don't really have a good timeline, we don't have any timeline at all of how long it is between verse 1 and verse 2, but God answered him. And so he sat back, he waited on the Lord, and God answered him. And he's going to give him a very thorough answer that we're going to look at the beginning of this morning. And so his answer begins begins like this, the Lord answered me, saying, write the vision, make it plain on tablets. So he may run who reads it. So that he may run who reads it. Now, I want to kind of camp for a little bit on that last part there. So that he may run who reads it. Because there's a few different translations, if you will. There are three, three translations, at least, that we can translate uh, that, that last part. So that he may run who reads it. The first uh, translation is this. It is a literal translation. So that whoever is running can read your sign, in essence. So God is telling, uh, telling Habakkuk, he's telling the prophet, okay, you've asked this question, I'm going to give you this answer. And his answer is summed up, we'll see uh, a little bit later in verse 4, that behold, his soul, talking about the Babylonians, is puffed up and is not upright within him, within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. And we're going to unpack that in just a moment. But he gives him this answer, and he says, on this answer, I want you to write it down. I want you to write it in big letters, in good font. I want it to be like Arial and bold, and, you know, like size 48. And I want you to write it so that people can see it as they're running. So that doesn't make any sense why he would uh, want runners to see it. Well, uh, as often was the case in the ancient Near East, they would, uh, would kind of have these posters, if you will, for lack of better words. They would, they would post announcements along their streets uh, so that people could, uh, could be informed of what was going on. And so as travelers would come and they would read these announcements, they would know what was happening uh, in their community or even in the, the adjacent community around them. Uh, but the ancient Near East 
kind of delivery system, if you will, was a very, it's a very difficult thing to understand. There's been some research into it, but it's hard enough to know how we did things 50 years ago, right, in the U.S. And so to, to back up two, three, four thousand years is very difficult. Uh, we know that the Greeks, which is not too far after this, relatively speaking, uh, a couple thousand years, uh, the ancient Greeks, that they would oftentimes run. They would send runners to deliver uh, news to the surrounding towns. And so there is an aspect that there could have literally been runners, people who would run from town to town to communicate what was happening in the adjacent areas. Because uh, some would say, and uh, some historians say, believe it or not, that a good runner is better than a good horse. And so you would think they would just hop on a horse, right, and go ride to town to town. Uh, but there is an element of, of runners being better, being more agile, being better at stealth, and being able to navigate different terrains. And so there is a, a case for a runner delivering the news to Israel, to Judah, to these surrounding places of what's going on with the Babylonians. So, so as, you, as you understand that and read it, so just write this vision, make a plan with tablets so he, so he may run, or, he, or as some translations say, as he who runs may read it. As he who runs may read it. And so in this case, the runner will be delivering news that reminded the people of Israel of the oracles of God, of the vision of God. Because it says there in verse 2, write this vision. We see that in chapter 1, verse 1, this is the oracle that Habakkuk uh, the prophet saw. And so he's saying, write this down. I want the people of Israel to know what I'm doing. I want them to know my response to the evil that is surrounding them. And so it could very well be that it was uh, was, was meant literally to show that God is actively working amongst his people that he is just and the righteous shall live by faith. Now, I'll bet to say that's probably not the right translation. It's probably not the right understanding of that. But it is possible if you have a literal reading of that verse. Another, under, another way to understand the verse, as we see it uh, in the ESV there, um, write the vision, make a plan on tablets so he may run who reads it. Not he who runs may read it, but that he... That, that he may run who reads it. So by reading this vision, by reading this oracle, the person is able to run. And so what does that mean in the context of Israel? And what does that mean for us today? It, is, it helps us to think about those in Israel, especially to the original audience here, as, as Habakkuk is writing to, that they were paralyzed with fear, that the Babylonians were sweeping across not just their neighborhood, not just their surrounding communities, not just attacking Judah and the corrupt uh, spiritual leadership that we see in chapter 1, but they are like locusts uh, just going forth over all of the known earth. They were just devouring, as it says there in chapter 1, and as Habakkuk gives us this vivid picture of Israel, these horsemen that come from afar, that fly like eagles, swift to devour. They all come for violence, their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. They scoff and, and ridicule at kings, and they laugh at rulers. And so we see this picture of the Babylonians just decimating the known world. So you can imagine being in Israel and being paralyzed with fear that around you are the enemies of God. Around you are those who desire to kill and destroy and to take over your city and to lay it waste. And so there is this aspect of being paralyzed with crippling fear. And so, as he says, as you write this vision, as you make it plain on tablets, so he may run 
who reads it. So they may be encouraged. They may be strengthened. They may be reminded of their covenant-making and covenant-keeping God that it is He who is over all the plans of the Babylonians. It is He who is over every moment of human history. And to be reminded of the goodness and the gracious and the power of God. If they will look to the Lord for their help and their strength, they will not have to be crippled in fear, but they can run with faith, hope, and confidence. Hebrews 12.1, that uh, we walked through uh, Hebrews this past year. Hebrews 12.1 reminds us of this language, as does Isaiah. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. So we see this picture because there's a lot of connections between Habakkuk and Hebrews, as we'll see again this morning. There's a lot of connection there about running, about, about running in the strength of the Lord. The prophet Isaiah says something similar. In 40, verse 31, But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And so as we look to and trust the Lord, as the Israelites look to and trust the Lord, those who are the remnant, those who had faith in them, those who walk by faith, those who are faithful, they would ultimately look to the Lord. And it's no different for us today. That it's easy for us to look around our life and be just um, inundated with the evil that's around us. And we can be crippled or paralyzed. But yet we can run as we look to the Lord. And it's easy to get disheartened, discouraged, and even defeated by the dismal news of the day. But hear the word of the Lord. He has overcome. He is at work. He is sovereign over every moment in human history, and He is good. And so, yes, the echo of the book of Habakkuk is that God is good and that God is all-powerful. But there's a third way to see this right here, and I believe it uh, is best this morning and best understanding of Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2. I see the text translated a little more nuanced here, if you will. Someone says it better than I. It says, everyone who reads or hears these words is to consider himself a herald of a significant communication intended for all people everywhere. So as you read this verse, it says, write the vision and make it plain so he may run who reads it. So he who reads this vision, who reads this oracle, is then entrusted to take it. To take it to all of those who would hear it. All of those who receive it, that look to the Lord and trust and faith and believe. And he will save. He will redeem. He will keep you. He will protect you. He will be your God. And you will be his people. We're going to see this fleshed out here in just a moment. And so as it says to... Make it plain on tablets. You may run who reads it. It is this picture of taking this news, of taking this vision to all of those around. Everyone who reads or hears these words to consider himself a herald 
Not a herald, but a herald. See yourself as one who is to herald the good news, ultimately of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So God is giving His answer to Habakkuk, but not just for Habakkuk. God wants His word to go forth to all people. Write it big, write it clear, make it plain, says the Lord, so that people would know who He is. And so what is it that God is so concerned that everyone know? We'll, we'll see His full response of these six woes of the next week, the woes of the Chaldeans, starting in verse 6. But it's summed up really in verse 4. Where it briefly speaks of the Babylonians, behold, his soul, or the soul of the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, the Chaldeans, is puffed up, and it is not upright within them. So it says, behold, the Babylonians are unrighteous, but the righteous shall live by his faith. And some translations say, in his faithfulness. And so what is this message of God is that ultimately the righteous shall live by faith. And he sums up these two truths. Babylon is unrighteous, but those who walk by faith are righteous. So let's look for a moment at this idea of the righteous shall live by faith. And this is minor prophet, right? Surely we don't see this anywhere else. I mean, surely this is just tucked away here in Habakkuk chapter 2 just to be caught every so often as you read through the minor prophets and your once a year Bible reading plan, you just kind of gloss over it. Is that right? No, right? Well, you may be surprised where this nugget is found. Go with me to Romans. It is found in three significant passages in the New Testament when it speaks to the gospel. Don't mishear me. All passages in the Bible are significant. All Scripture is good for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training us in righteousness. But in Romans chapter 1, Paul is kind of in the introduction, if you will, of his powerful letter to the church at Rome and all the, the deep and beautiful theology that we, can, uh, that we can gain from studying through Romans. And we will get there one of these days. So Romans chapter 1, verse 16, just a couple of verses. For I am not ashamed, the apostle says, of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. That's a side note of Paul. The righteous shall live by faith. So right here, in the beginning of this beautifully deep and wonderful book, is this reminder of what Habakkuk said. The Holy Spirit said through Habakkuk so many years ago that the righteous shall live by faith. So, okay, we're good. But those who are faithful, those who are going to live according to the law in the Old Testament, they will be righteous and they are God's people. We know that's not the case. Go with me to Galatians, a few books over. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. 
For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. So how do we become righteous if we can't live according to the law? For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, if you were just to, to, to meditate that on for a moment, that it should be a very, very um, piercing statement. That should be an indicting statement. Those who do not live according to everything in the law and do them, you're cursed. Because not for a moment should anyone in their right mind believe that they've not transgressed any of the law of God. Because we know that we have, and we do over and over. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. So no one's justified by the law, it says. For, Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. And then comes Christ. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. So we were cursed because we can't keep it. We can't keep it perfectly. Even on the, our best of days, we cannot keep the totality of the law. And as we know, it's not about which law that you, you break or can't keep. It's about the holiness of God that we transgress. So it's not what we do, it's who we do it against. And so Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written... Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So what we're beginning to see here in a way that Habakkuk's original audience could not even begin to understand, the remnant had that their hope in God. They had their hope in the Messiah who was to come. But on that side of the cross, they didn't have the clarity that we have today. That we know Christ came. That we know that He was cursed for us. That because of His righteousness, we become righteous. We know what 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says. You may not know what 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says if you're new with us. So go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Just because I don't want to butcher a single word of it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, He, God, made Him Christ. So for our sake, God made Christ to be sin, who knew no sin. So He, he put the curse on Christ who knew no sin, so that we who are cursed, so that we, that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And so let's not read Habakkuk 2 to say, wow, I am righteous, I am good. But know that, that we live by faith, that our faith, our trust, our hope is in Jesus. And by looking to Him as the, our Redeemer, by looking to Him as our Savior, by trusting Him, we take on His righteousness. And yes, you are right, it is unfair. But that is the gospel, the good news, that Christ became sin. The Son of God was sentenced as a sinner so that sinners could be seen as sons of God. This is the heart of the gospel. 
And the righteous shall live by faith. And we are righteous by faith. And as you really start to read this, understand it, you realize we didn't do anything. We didn't do anything. There's nothing good in us. There's no part of this that we've done except to look to the Lord. We only look to Him because of His Spirit that moves inside of us. And so God wants everyone to know this. God wants it to be heralded. He wants this good news to go forth. He wants those in, in Judah to hear this. He wants those around to hear this. He wants a watching world to see that the righteous shall live by his faith. So he summarizes these two great truths. Go with me one last passage to Hebrews. I told you Habakkuk and Hebrews is very connected And to be honest, your elders aren't that smart. We didn't pick Habakkuk because it was uh, so tied into Hebrews, but the Spirit is that gracious. Habakkuk chapter 10, I mean Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. Of course, there's a lot going on here in Hebrews, and we've, we've walked through this in recent months. But just to come back as a reminder, verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while. And the coming one will come and will not delay, as we see in Habakkuk. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And we know the true and only righteous one is Christ. And we know that he never shrinks back. And we know that God the Father has pleasure in him. And whenever we take on his righteousness because he gives it to us, and we walk in faith. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And so when you go back to Habakkuk 2 and you, you combine these two observations, and the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it, so he may herald who heeds it? We can put it that way. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. And so what, what the Lord's saying here is going to bleed into next week that what he is seeing in his judgment against the Babylonians and the judgment even through the Babylonians, all the stuff that he is seeing, it's not quite here yet. But he says, don't worry, it's coming. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. His judgment is coming. Against the Babylonians who we see in chapter 1, they are guilty. Chapter 1, verse 11, they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. But behold, their soul is puffed up. It is not right within them, but the righteous shall live by faith. And the beautiful part of this, this vision of the Lord to Habakkuk, that it is, 
It is ultimately the same as Christ tells us, even in the Great Commission. That this good news that we clearly see here, this good news of, of who Christ is and what He's done for us, just as He told the disciples, He says, go, as you go, make disciples, as you go, proclaim the gospel, as you go, proclaim the good news. And what is the good news? Is that Christ came to save sinners. And who do we say that to? To our families and friends in Washita Parish. No, but as you go everywhere, Jesus says, as you go to the nations, be motivated by this, to be heralds of the good news, to be ambassadors of this good news. Make it plain, make it clear that this is not just for us, that God is using us to take His message, His message of hope and salvation to all of those around us. And I pray and hope, and we are praying as, as elders here at North Hills this year and next year and the years to come that He would give us the desire not just to engage here in our community, not just to preach the gospel from this pulpit on Sunday morning, but to engage in our community, to engage in our state and our nation, to engage even in the whole world around us. And there's plenty of opportunity. But we need to take this vision to heart. We need to take this oracle and see that it's not just for Habakkuk. It's not just for others. It's for us to make it plain on tablets that we may run who hears the word and heeds the word. And we're going to see Habakkuk's response through this as he, as he hears from the Lord and his questions, his complaints, as they are resolved and he sees how God is working and he sees this message for all of those who would hear it. And his heart is molded. His heart is shifted. His trust is recentered on the Lord. And may ours be as well. But let us be a people who herald the good news of the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this truth. Thank you for this text this morning that points us to your good news. Lord, thank you that you've chosen to even use us in this capacity, that we might join you in, in taking your gospel from this place. May we not just be recipients of this message, but may we be deliverers of this message. Whether that's today or this week, would you help us to see where you're at work around us? And we may join you in that. Or as we come to your communion table this morning, thank you for Christ. Thank you for his body that was broken and his blood that was poured out for us, his people, for all of those who would turn to him in faith and repentance. And thank you for the grace that you give us to come and to receive it. As we sing this morning, as we have an opportunity to give, as we fellowship at the end of our service, as we leave this place, may everything we do be motivated by what Christ has done for us. Help us to respond in faith and obedience to your word. In Christ's name, amen.